This is Carter Lowen. You're listening to Friars on the Farm podcast. Welcome to Friars on the Farm podcast and ring my bell. Episode 200. Dude, 200. 200. Happy birthday, Donovan. Right. Happy podcast birthday. It's not my birthday, but it is tomorrow. It is Ethan Salas' birthday. Right. Uh, and so I was fortunate enough to get to go up to Lake Elsinore yesterday. Uh, before I get too far into our stories, we have the one and only Emily Walden on with us today. Hashtag Friars Insider. Uh, we're going to spend a whole bunch of time chatting about the collective bargaining agreement and all the stuff that goes with that. Um, and on top of her, her fight with cancer and all this amazing person that we just think the world of. Um, so yesterday I had the whole Lake Elsinore storm experience. I got to meet Thunder, the big green dog. I got to see Kaz, the yes. seven foot tall announcer extraordinaire. Uh, I got to see Austin Crobb throw seven innings of yeah. excellent, excellent pitching. Uh, he's quietly being the ace of that staff of a, a lot of really good young pitching. Adrian Morahone threw a couple innings on his rehab uh, stint. And then Ethan, uh, Griffin Dorshing hit a home run, my guy. And Ethan Salas made his debut with four of the most professional uh, pitch plate appearances you'll see at single A. Absolutely. Uh, I, I watched the whole thing and uh, I, I, I posted a bunch of videos. I was kind of a little jealous when when Mad Friars took your video and goes, here it is. And I'm like, but I just posted one from the, from the broadcast. Um, oh, I was sitting there. I was right there. One of the high tops. I had the perfect vantage point of the whole thing. You know, and we're watching the game, and I'm watching the game with earphones on, and, and the Padre game is in the background. And I'm like, yes, and like, there's nothing happening in the Padre game, and and Liddy's like, what? And I'm like, nothing. Just Ethan Sells got a hit. Okay, just keep it down. On uh, one of your <laughs> clips, I can hear her cackling in the background. <laughs> I thought it um, sounds like Phyllis Diller in the background there. Ah, uh, so that's let the let the development begin now. Absolutely. Before- before we, um, I mean, he did not disappoint with the opposite field, full count, uh, just rocket into the into the left center field gap. Um, the next at bat, I mean, just smoked a single. If it wasn't hit so hard, certainly easily could have been a double. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. If that fence wasn't so far in in right field, uh, it, it gets by the right fielder. He would have made it to second base. Uh, then he struck out on a pitch that was, I don't know, four or six inches off the plate. Uh, questionable call. And then he drew a walk. And the, the fourth, you know, I went back and I saw the storm posted all four of his plate appearances. And the guy that he was facing in that fourth plate appearance, he could not find the plate to save his soul. Yeah. He was walking the whole world that that inning. Uh, but still, I mean, he was taking the right pitches. He was swinging at the right pitches. He looked every bit the, of, a, of a seasoned minor league veteran up yeah. there. Absolutely. And then, then Griffin Dorshing donkey kicks a ball. God, he just punishes baseballs, man. I am so excited to watch that kid get better and get better as he moves up the system. Yeah, that was a right-hander hitting it to deep right center field. <laughs> and it was an absolute no-doubter. Big old bat flip and everything. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll be up there tomorrow night. Uh, and so what we're doing now is we're going to talk to Emily. And then later on, I'm going to have my interview and, and discussion with uh, Jill Guerin, who is the broadcaster for the Vasilia Rawhide, one of the very few broad female broadcasters in minor league baseball and in major league baseball, for that matter, who I just found out minutes ago 
Emily Walden did an article on her back for Baseball America, which I'm going to have to go back, and that's my research for her tomorrow. Um, but right now, let's bring on Emily, our patron. When we had Emily on, let me just say this real quick. It, I, I really felt like, okay, we're a podcast. Sure, we had a couple players on, um, a couple other guys you know, in from the Prospects Live. Um, but when we had Emily on, I'm like, okay, now I can like breathe. Like, wow, we have, we have really um, – kind of hit the big time and it has been a long time since we've had that since you've been on and uh, rightfully so but emily welcome back thank you for recording with us uh, our 200th episode oh my goodness you guys are so unbelievably kind it is seriously my pleasure to be here with y'all so it's been a while since we've spoken with you and it's not for baseball reasons it's because of out of baseball reasons, um, you your 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 journey through cancer treatment has been widely documented. Uh, but could you give us a brief uh, little you know, take us through your whole uh, adventure over the last couple of years? Yeah, so it's um, it's definitely been a whirlwind. Um, coming up on about seventeen months um, since I was first diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, thankfully, they caught it early, and it's obviously one of those things where. I can't stress enough to all of, you know, my young and even elderly female listeners of your podcast, listen to your body, you know, gentlemen, listen to your body. If there's ever something that feels off, definitely pursue that talk with your doctor, there's there's a life to be lived. And obviously, everyone's life holds so much value. Um, And that was really the case with me that something was off. I've noticed a red flag and thankfully went to my doctor soon enough to where they could catch it early. And the hardest part, especially for me, and I know you guys have known me for a while, the concept of slowing down is not in my DNA. I am not somebody who likes to slow down. I am constantly on the move. I'm constantly networking and socializing and I'm at, you know, this ballpark and that ballpark. And for the first time in my life, baseball took a back seat. And that that was a very foreign place for me to be, just because obviously, it's something I'm so passionate about. But as you will hear from even people who've been around the game forever, it's it's a game. It's a beautiful game. It's a game that we're all very, very in love with. But at the end of the day, weighing your life and your physical well-being is definitely something that needs to be a priority. And that was the the route that I chose. Um, I have gone through two surgeries. I'm about to go through my third one later on in June. Um, went through three different types of chemo, um, 16 infusions total. And it's definitely been a roller coaster. I have hair on my head which is <laughs> a blessing, something I'm very thankful for. But I would say really the most evident silver lining throughout the entire thing has been hearing people say that it's a story that needed to be told. Um, there's something very, it, it really humbles you, you know, to, to present yourself in such a vulnerable state. But Presenting that was showing people that, hey, even when you feel like you're down for the count, even when, you know, you may not like how you look when you look in the mirror and you don't have energy to do something as simple as, you know, walk to the kitchen and make yourself a sandwich, 
your life still holds value. And just knowing that it's, it's not your whole story. It's just a chapter. That was something I told myself the whole time was, this is not my full story. It's just a chapter in the story. Every chapter plays a role in that story. But every chapter doesn't define you. So that was something that I held on to. And I said, you know what, if if my experience and my circumstances can bring a little bit of light and a little bit of hope into someone else's life, I'm going to take that chance by being open and being public with people about it. And thankfully, I was able to to hear some good feedback on that. So absolutely humbled and just feeling very blessed that I got to try to to brighten up some people's day. Well, I don't know how many times in, in the in All Star games, in, in the minor league games, when they, uh, you know, when they when they stop the game and they have the stand up for cancer, that they would find I would see uh, someone holding up the stand up for cancer for Emily Walden, and I would just get chills and just it. it I, I I I am a I'm a I, I'm a I'm a I'm a wimp. I stub my toe. I want to die. <laughs> like, I, I, you know, it just, I can't take any pain. Like I, I had my blood drawn the other day and I was gripping the, the armchair so tight that the lady's like, just relax. I need you to relax. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I, so you have that courage in you. Uh, what I wanted to also, what I want to say is in the beginning of this, um, everyone else that came out, like I'm wearing, you guys can't see it on the podcast, but I'm wearing the pitching ninja shirt. The only pitching ninja shirt I own is the Emily Walden pitching ninja shirt um how did that happen how did did he reach out to you so that so for those of you who don't know um pitching ninja rob friedman for those of you who you may not know he has a name he actually has a real name his name is not pitching mr pitching ninja um his name is rob friedman and i have known him i connected with him through social media like a lot of people and had the connection um, to just work with him on a few things. Um, He contacted me completely out of the blue. I want to say this was, I was diagnosed January 7th of 2022, or I'm sorry, January, um, is it the 7th? I think it was the 7th of 2022. And I want to say he contacted me maybe a couple of weeks after I announced my diagnosis, I want to say maybe it was like two weeks, I got a text message. And it had this screenshot of a t shirt. And he sent it over. And he included my friend Kenny, for those of you who don't know, Kenny is the founder of the RotoWare t shirts. Um, RotoWare is also the group that works with Rob on his pitching ninja gear. So there's a lot of different partnerships going on there. I've been friends with Kenny and Rob both for for quite some time. And they sent me this screenshot in a group text message. And I was kind of like, what's this? Because I'm obviously very familiar with the Pitching Ninja line with the hats and the shirts and all the things that he's released for for charities of different kinds. And it was this pink, pink logo. And Rob said, what do you think of this design? And I said, well, it's 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 great. I, I love your logo. It's it's pink. And clearly I was mentally wasn't quite having everything click because I looked at it and I was just like, that's that's fine, guys. Great. Cool. Why are you asking me? <laughs> and they said, well, we're going to sell this and we're going to send you the proceeds. And I said, come again. Right. And it, it just that was the part of the journey where I started to realize that people were paying attention and 
I will talk very carefully with you guys because I will very clearly get emotional if I, if I talk about it for too long for, for obvious reasons. But um, they say baseball is a, it's a family in so many different shapes and forms, whether that be, you know, on the minor league side, which you and I are more familiar with on the major league side, which we all have connections to some degree. They say baseball is a family. I don't think I fully grasped that until this happened because we've here I go, I'm going to start crying. Um, (laughs) um, I had somebody send me a message the other day and he said he was in New York city riding the subway as New Yorkers often do. He said he got onto a subway and he said up the, the car a little bit from him. He said, someone had my shirt on. And he said, I walked over to the guy and said, Hey, nice shirt. And the guy said, you know, Emily Walden. And I just remember kind of sitting there because the amount of these stories that I have gotten either through Instagram DMs, Twitter DMs, text messages, and so on. This is like international stories where someone saw one of my shirts in the Dominican. Someone saw one of my shirts in Australia. And it's not, you know, oh my gosh, these people love me. It, it, will never stop blowing my mind that complete strangers from across the globe said there is a person somewhere out there that needs a reminder that we're in her corner and it ended up being at the time which i'm pretty sure this has been surpassed by another shirt sale um in regards to sarah langs who we could spend a whole episode talking about how phenomenal sarah langs is but at the time, they said it was the highest selling shirt that they have ever sold on their website. Yeah. Yeah. And I, to this day, I can't fathom that. <laughs> you know, and I just randomly two weeks, two or three weeks ago, I sent you a picture of Chandler Siegel, who's in, in AA and a friend of the podcast. Yes. Who, yes. You know, who's wearing, I'm like, oh my God, Emily, look at this. <laughs> I know. And again, Chandler, oh my gosh, just an absolute class, class human. Um, But just that that bonding, that connection, because my heart, again, for anybody who knows me, I am such a connector and I'm such a networker. And knowing that there is a shirt that just has a pink logo on it and people can look at that and people can say, I know who that shirt represents. And that humbles me in a way that I will never be able to describe. I'm glad you brought up Sarah Langs because that's somebody that I, since we started talking, that came right to my forefront. That that T-shirt has brought so much awareness to cancer, uh, you know, cancer patients, cancer treatment. Um, yes. And then Sarah Langs, I feel like all of baseball has just taken her and amplified yeah. the whole ALS awareness on her behalf. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw mm-hmm. her when they had the winter meetings here. I didn't get up the gumption to go say hello, uh, but I could see that the, that ALS is really affecting her. Um, and yet I go on Twitter and she's all over the place. She is kicking butt at what she does. She's one of the better baseball minds that media has right now. And so I love seeing all of, all of sport, all of baseball media kind of rallying around, around her and around ALS. I think there's uh, MLB.com is having a big auction. Uh, I think the uh, Lou Gehrig day is coming up soon. Yes. Yeah, it is. And I will say I, I have not gotten the chance to see Sarah since 
2019, I was in Cleveland for the All-Star Game in 2019. And I went and got coffee with Sarah and Mandy Bell, who is the Cleveland Guardians beat writer for MLB.com, who's someone else I absolutely adore. And the three of us just sat there and talked and, and shared stories. And I can honestly say what you see on Twitter is who Sarah is. Sarah is one of the most genuine, caring, beautiful people that I have ever interacted with. And she, despite all of the challenges that she's faced with this obstacle, she has approached it with so much grace Mm. and just so much strength and so much beauty. And you don't see her taking on that, oh, poor me mentality. It's I still have the same job that I, I want to do. I still want to keep promoting the game and the people that I love. And she is going to put other people before her every single chance that she gets. She's pushing to raise awareness for it, but it's not raise awareness to feel sorry for me. It's raise awareness for other people because that's her nature. Her nature is to point out and to highlight and spotlight others around her. She's never going to call attention to herself. That's just not how she's built. And what am? Oh, sorry. Um, what I was going to say though, just in regards to the the response of baseball, is that they're just they're just acknowledging who she is, and seeing the way that people have rallied around her does not surprise me for a second. You know, good, good, good people. Good people get amplified. And um, I, I just real quick, I, I have a friend of mine who early in, in my recovery um, was like, although not very much older than me, but was very much my like sobriety mother. And uh, uh, she she had cancer. And, um, you know, one of the things she would share is like, I, I am not going to be able to see my daughter um, grow up. And uh, she was very young. And, you know, the next time I saw her in a meeting, she was wearing a, a, like a pink wig. And then she's like, I just feel like, being wearing a pink wig today and the next time i saw her she's wearing a blonde wig and she's like i just you know i felt like just being a blonde today um to have that kind of courage and just kind of make fun of such um a a dangerous and and deadly disease um i think is a good way to stick the finger uh to the disease and when we always say fuck cancer fuck cancer um her daughter ironically is um just got a job early this year uh, with the Giants. I think she's doing in the analytics department. Um, but I grew up watching that little girl grow up in a meeting, you know, of, of of recovery, and now she's working for the Giants. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah, she's great, and I and so I always like, hey, I got a podcast, and you know, once she gets her feet underneath her, I'm probably going to reach out to her, and I would love to talk to her and and just have her tell her story. Um, but let's let's um. Time is counting down here because we only have so much time. Um, let's real quickly talk about the, you know, the article that you wrote. That when the real one of the very first reasons why we had you on the podcast because you wrote the article that really broke the news and really kind of got the message out there that these kids weren't even. I didn't know that they were not making a lot of money. How did that come about? You know, that really came from a place of just kind of what I do naturally, and that's getting to know people where they are. Um, hearing the stories from the players, hearing the stories from their family, little by little, you started to kind of piece it together and go, I don't think this is okay. 
but for me naturally i'm not this person that says oh i want to be cutting edge i want to do this i want to do that i want to expose people like (laughs) that's that's not something that i do naturally um i would spotlight my sweet katie strang who writes for the athletic still as an investigative reporter that is her bread and butter katie is built for rattling cages and that's just not something that i'm naturally wired to do so when I wrote that article, I was absolutely terrified. I was so scared. I'm like, people are going to just blacklist me. They're not going to let me in places. Teams are going to hate me. It's going to be awful. <laughs> well, and the, so, the players that were talking to you that were actually opening up, they had many of those same fears that they were going to wreck their career yes. by speaking out about the the way that they feel that they've been treated unfairly. Absolutely. And that to me, which I also pointed this out to an executive I spoke to, I said the fact that players fear for their well-being, if they're honest, I said, that's another red flag right there. I said, it just feels like this entire underground life that no one wants to speak of because they're so afraid that they're going to get kicked to the curb. And I said, that is a problem. That right there is one of the problems that needs to be addressed. And one of the biggest challenges I had was getting people to actually say, can I put you on the record? Because you can release an article, something they teach you, journalism 101. If you release an article from seven or eight anonymous people, that's not credit. That's <laughs> that's someone saying, yeah, I spoke with this person. They wish to not be named. And we're like, who was it an actual person? Or did you just write, I spoke with this person and they didn't want to be named? There's no credit to back up the statements. And the quotes that I got from the players had so much depth and just they were had such a raw sense about them. I said, I've got to have some names. Thankfully, a number of people did step up and say, you know what? Screw it. Put me on the record. I don't care. And that really kind of added the the icing to the cake because it gave a name. It gave a face. It gave an organization. It gave an affiliate level And I think that just sort of shaped it in a more well-rounded way for all of the readers. So when you were talking to all these people and putting this article together, did you fathom in your distant future that minor league baseball would actually unionize and complete a collective bargaining agreement? Had no idea. I honestly had no idea. It was more, I had always hoped. I always hoped. And I'm like, gosh, that would be amazing. Just thinking about the players the ones who are married, the ones who had young kids, thinking about it from that sense, where I, I've I've always said from the beginning, if an organization invests in their players at the minor league level, they're investing in the future of the organization. Because you're that's what the pipeline is. The pipeline is a reserve of future major league players if you play your cards right, if you develop correctly, if you give your players a healthy environment to develop in. And if you let the players know, which is such an unsung part of a a baseball organization, if the front office isn't saying, guys, we believe in you, what's pushing them to become the best players that they can be? They're like, yeah, I've got the uniform. Yeah, I've got an assignment. But do they actually really believe that I can do anything? And that's that's a question that these guys are constantly asking. And so I think from that level, if the organization is going to say we want to have the future of this club look strong. It starts at the bottom and that technically speaking, that's the minors. Yeah. 
you know, yeah, you're saying that you love me. You, you think I'm going to be great, but yet your actions are, I'm having a bologna and cheese sandwich for, you know, for my post meal. Exactly. Meal. I'm supposed to, you know, in the off season, stay at an, an elite level of not only conditioning, but in my job and hitting and fielding and pitching. Um, yet I got to work in a 40 hour week just to pay rent. Um, and, and some of these, and I remember some of the, uh, one of the guys was a roofer, I think, you know, they all can't just Uber for a living. They have to get jobs at construction or maybe their parent owns a, uh, a company where they're, you know, not only risking their lives in, in a way, but it's certainly at times risking their careers by getting in a workplace accident, which, hap- which happens all the time. Um, and, you know, I, I could just, it's funny. I can, when I first read the article and it kind of started getting, you know, we had the wristbands and then advocates for minor leaguers started coming up and more, more than baseball, um, I could just see the the organization, the owners just kind of throwing down their their magazine. Ah, oh, this is God, oh, that Emily Walden. Oh, that Garrett uh, Brocious. Although he doesn't he doesn't pronounce his name Garrett Brocious. Um, I could just see them like, oh my God, it's starting to swell up. And then you see the wristbands in the in the World Series and in the All Star games, and people are starting to point that out on the broadcast, and it has this groundswell, truly a groundswell of grassroots um amplification that this is no longer good this is no longer the status quo it has never been um romantic it's always been the romantic oh he's you know with kids playing and you know paw tuck it you know he's just having a blast playing minor league baseball never knowing that he's not he's going home hungry that he's having to watch pull his money together with his other guys to just make ends meet that they're sleeping on air mattresses by you know five or six to a room so you know, you, so you know, the organization is saying, "Yeah, we love you. Think you're going to be great," but yet they're not backing up with any action. And and finally, having the courage from a few handful of ballplayers to to say that this is and this is where I live. This is how I live. This is what's going on when I'm supposed to be an elite. And baseball, it's not like football or any other sport where it's. I think they're all kind of activities, and that's another thing. But like, you have to be an elite player just to move up to the next level. Um, and you brought that to the forefront and. Um, you, I th- you think, I don't think you're going to believe me in this, but I think you, you played a very large part in not only making, uh, the public aware, but to molding what had became the unionization of, of the minor league. So, uh, thank you. Thank you that. so much for saying that. Yeah. It was the, the funny story about just me being nervous was that they, they published that article when I was, I literally had a uh, flight connection that I was catching to fly out to Arizona for spring training. Um, and I was so scared when I got there. I'm like, oh my gosh, I hope people aren't mad. I hope that this is a, you know, a productive trip. And immediately, I did not realize how quickly people had read that article. I got to the field I want to say it was the Padres complex, actually, one of the first ones I went to. And I had people coming up to me and saying, you wrote that article they just published at The Athletic. And I was like, please tell me you like it. (laughs) (laughs) I was so scared. And they were like, that was incredible. And one of the things which really stood out to me from all those conversations, the people who weren't former players or, you know, coaches or whatever, they said, I had no idea what life was like for these guys away from the field mm. because when fans go to a game, all they're thinking about is the game. They're not thinking about when the guy walks into the dugout back to the clubhouse, 
What's he eating for dinner? How is his nutritional intake? Does he have transportation? How's he sleeping at night? The buses, hearing the stories. Oh my goodness. The, the stories of the players, which some of them had me laughing until I was crying, but there, you would talk to a guy who was slotted to start the next day. Yeah. They had an all night bus trip. The starting pitcher would be stretched out on the floor underneath, depending on how tall he was, three or four rows of seats <laughs> just so he could stretch his legs yeah. out because otherwise you're curled up into a ball. For those of us who are getting old, not to, to shadow any of our ages, muscles don't recuperate as well the older that you get and when you curl up and you sleep wrong you could have a crick in your neck for the next week and if you're expected to go out and perform at an elite level after you've been awake most of the night and curled up into a pretzel how do you expect that to happen and as the guys will tell you if you don't cut it there's someone in line who's going to take your spot for sure so let's roll on to our next little chapter here we've got uh so our intent here was that we wanted to kind of piece through, piece our way through uh, a bunch of notes we have on the um, collective bargaining agreement. So the union agreement portion will be fully in effect in the 2024 season. Um, right off the top, they doubled the pay pretty much across the board. Uh, off season at home, players get $250 per week, except for that six week dead period around the holidays. Uh but that's one thing right there. It used to be the players were only paid during the season. Now they're paid pretty much year round. Uh, and before this came out, I, my my what I was hoping I would see was some kind of a stipend that would at least help cover food and like a gym membership for right. the for the players. This is even better. They're getting paid two hundred fifty bucks a week, so that gives them a little bit of security. That is correct. Yeah, and a big part of that too is that you wouldn't technically receive your first paycheck until you received an affiliate assignment. And so if you were a guy who went through spring training, you would get your stipend from the team during spring training. But if you got sent to extended spring training, you were still on that stipend. Uh. So they wouldn't actually give you a full paycheck until they said, all right, Johnny so-and-so, you're going to high A. He would get to high A, he would play first paycheck. But while you're still in that extended period train or extended spring training period, that that would just stick with the stipend. So this is a huge, huge step from a financial standpoint. Right. And so what you're saying there, okay, you get assigned to uh okay, you're gonna go play in high A. Um, you're gonna send you to Fort Wayne. It used to be that the player was responsible for finding their own lodging. Uh, they were given like three days in the hotel. And then after that, they were expected to have something lined up. Some places like Lake Elsinore had a host family arrangement. Uh, some places like Fort Wayne did have an agreement with an apartment building across the street where they had like quads set up. But a lot of places, these guys are looking for short-term apartment leases. They need furniture. They need everything. And yet they're not getting their first paycheck until yeah. a couple of weeks after they show up to, to the new team. I mean, how, how is the player supposed to do that? And also, by the way, how are you supposed to find a short-term apartment lease when you're a seasonal employee and you don't know if you're going to be there for six months or for two weeks, and then you're going to get assigned somewhere else? Well, and honestly, one of my favorite quotes, and I don't know if you guys can refresh me on this, um, a while back when they released the statement, I believe it was from Rob Manfred, 
who called them short-term seasonal apprentices. Right. That was always <laughs> one of my favorites. <laughs> oh, but they don't but they don't get paid for their training time because spring training that's just training and they so you don't get paid for that. I've never had a job where I don't get paid for the time that I'm training. Like I show up, punch the clock, I should be getting paid at least a minimum wage hourly rate and that's not the way it was. So now these guys are getting $625 per week uh on top of the stipend that you Now the stipend that was like a food stipend that these guys would get and it wasn't a lot. It was like what 45 bucks a day something like that. It was it was dependent upon the organization. I know when I was going through and doing my research for for the articles that I've done done about it, um, it did vary. There were certain clubs that did do a little bit better than others, um, and then there were some clubs where you went, "Really, that's it." <laughs> so it was uh, it was definitely a bit spread across the board, depending on the organization. So then you hear about guys taking their their stipend and going to Olive Garden and trying to get as much food as they could and taking as much of it back to the house as they could because I mean they get their meal at at at, at the facility and and that's it. But I mean these guys, you think of how many calories these guys burn throughout the course of a day, and they're not just eating dinner; they're going back a couple hours later. Their body needs another meal after that. Well, and something too that I found interesting talking to some of the the Latin players is that they would sort of get together depending on, you know, whether it was some of the Dominicans or the Venezuelans or Puerto Ricans, whatever the club it was, a lot of them, specifically the Dominicans, they come from a very like a rice heavy diet back home. So what they're taught is you can cook rice, you can get some kind of a protein, you can, you know, make some different types of things. And to them, they would go out and buy these bulk amounts of rice and bulk amounts of other stuff with that stipend. And then they would just all sort of group together and cook up a bunch of it and say, okay, we can eat this for a period. But I'll use Vladimir Guerrero Jr., for example, he was assigned um, with the high A club, um, which I think might have still been class A at the time. And his diet that he was eating, he was actually getting fed by his grandmother, who was Dominican. She came and stayed with him here in the States and she would cook for him. And it was a very, very Dominican diet, which is not geared towards health and fitness. It's geared towards <laughs> flavor. It's geared towards, you know, big flavors. And of course, they're saying if you're not eating, there's a problem. The Dominican culture is right? exactly. <laughs> and as we all know, I word myself carefully, but let's just say Vladimir Guerrero Jr. never appeared to be hurting when it came to food. He appreciated a good meal as his grandmother was a very good cook. But all that to say, culturally, the Latin players were looking for something where they said, we're only getting X amount of money. If we're not sending a lot of them sent it home to their families. A lot of them didn't even keep the money because their families back home were hurting so much that they would send that home or they would go out and buy this, this diet that they may have defaulted to it. It wasn't ideal for a professional athlete and everybody knew that. Right. Yes. So the next item we've got on here, we've got all the salaries. Um, so now rookie complex league players, they're going to make $19,800 annually. This is up from 4,800 previously. So that's, they're getting a four times, almost a five times uh, pay raise. 
Low A, 26,200, up from 11,000. High A, 27,300, up from 11,000. Double A, 30,250, up from 13,800. Triple A, 35,800, up from 17,500. Now, these are the minimum salaries. Uh, and what I'm thinking as I'm reading this, so your typical kid in low A doesn't have a family. Some of them do. Some of them are married. Some of them have a kid. But by the time you get up to double A AA and triple A, these players are very often supporting a family um, and their spouse is traveling with them or at least living with them and their child is living with them. And so I know $35,800 still isn't a lot in today's uh, world. That's still uh, you know, borderline poverty level on an annual basis, but in season that at least gives these guys a little bit of financial security to be able to support their family. Um, so they're paid for the futures game and for the all-star game that keep, a $750 bonus. Uh, the non-pay period is a two and a half month period from Thanksgiving until January 2nd. Makes sense. It's kind of the holiday, you know, go back. But it used See to be family. that that non, non-pay period was from the last day of affiliated ball until the first day of affiliated ball next year. You better hope you make, you get assigned to a team. Um, so the agreement also makes it clear that the sides do not agree on whether the number of affiliates is a mandatory subject of bargaining. The league thinks it is not the union thinks it is. So that's an important thing right there. And that ties into the list of, uh, uh, what, what do they call it? The list of domestic players. So the players want to be able to bargain about how many teams are in affiliated baseball uh, the league wants to maintain complete control over that. So if they want to cut it in half at some point, they want to be able to just drop that that hatchet. We already saw Major League Baseball after they took over Minor League Baseball. They pretty much immediately got rid of 40 teams. Um, and we've argued the both sides of that. But the part yeah. that, that, that stings me is I think of the family in Billings, Montana that has no access to major league baseball. They have no access to upper minor league baseball. All they've got is at the time they had a short season, single a team uh, and maybe a little bit of independent league baseball around there. Uh, So it always kind of stings when I hear talk about reducing uh, the number of teams, but ultimately that means reducing the number of employed professional baseball players. Now that's absolutely the case. And I, I think that's the part that the fans probably had the biggest challenge with is because in the fans' mind, the goal should always be to grow the game. And I know when those affiliates were cut, a lot of the backlash that I was reading directed at um, Rob Manfred was, if you're trying to grow the game, how is this accomplishing that? How is this promoting the game? We've already got blackouts to deal with through MLB. We've already got, you know, games not available in a lot of different areas. We've got people who say, I would love to be a fan, but I would love to do this. But the cost to even go to a major league game between parking and food and tickets and you're bringing in a family of four, it's astronomical. It is astronomical. If you follow me on Twitter, you saw my sarcasm, which was greatly missed in regards to the beer that I purchased when I was at Comerica Park this past weekend. You know, it is it is not a cheap thing. And I think that's one of the beauties of minor league baseball. They call it affordable family fun. It's, it's an environment that's safe for families. It's an environment where fans can get up close and personal to a Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or a Bo Bichette or a Fernando Tatis Jr. Yeah. 
you get to get close to these guys. It builds a connection with the players and then they get to watch these guys develop and move on. And then when they show up on TV one day, you've got, you know, your little son who said, oh my gosh, he signed a baseball and took a picture with me when I went to this game. It, it builds the game with the fans. And it's, I think just the unfortunate side of business when it comes to the game. And I don't know if there'll ever be a happy medium to understand it between the two parties. Now, Eugene Friedman is somebody that I follow on Twitter, and he always provides some interesting insight on the legal aspect of these labor negotiations. Um, And he raised a point at some point, I think it was during the Major League CBA, uh, but it had to do with limiting the number of people that enter into the union pool, the voter pool. Uh, And that... I think that's tied into this, that the the union wants to be able to leave this open, that, you know, that there shouldn't be control about how many people can can enter the union where the employer, Major League Baseball, uh, I'm sure they want to put some sort of limitations on it to try to keep as much control over the union as they can, or at least keep as much negotiating power as they can. Um so the next note we've got on here is housing for married uh, for players that are married and have children. Uh, the agreement makes clear that the sides do not agree on whether the number of affiliates is a mandatory subject to. Oh, uh, players cannot be required to sign leases or utility agreements, and are not responsible for electricity, water, sewage, gas, or Wi-Fi bills. Um, I believe it didn't have specific uh, language in there about accommodating uh, uh, families, uh, but teams are, are somehow required to at least make some sort of option. I remember when the, uh, when major league baseball started covering the, the, the housing um, the question was, is there going to be an allowance for the players that want to opt out from the team housing? Uh, because you've got an, a hotel room that they're going to share with another player. Well, what if I have a wife? What if I have a kid Donovan, you have a point. Yeah, we have it right here. So a player who has a spouse and our children have to give sufficient notice that they're not, are and are not to be accommodated in one of two ways with the family friendly housing option or with a stipend. So if you have all housing is to be a reasonable, accommodable distance from the stadium and include a bedroom, bathroom, kitchen, shared living space. But if you have a, um, a family member, the teams are supposed to give you a one bedroom, one bedroom. Okay. Find yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, so I've got Evan Drellich's article up here. He did a really good job laying out the whole MILB uh, CBA uh, when this came out. Um, and he notes on here, domestic reserve list roster sizes. The maximum size of the domestic reserve list for this year is 180 in the regular season and 190 in the offseason. The league has the ability to cut the roster sizes to 165 in the regular season and 175 in the offseason starting in 2024, uh, which is roughly half of one minor league roster. Um, so one thing that Emily, one thing that you had to dance, you had to get players to dance around was their relationship with their employer, that if they speak out, they had no way of, of voicing any grievance about how they were treated. They can't ask for more pay. They can't ask for better food. They can't ask for help with, with certain things. Now with the CBA, the players, they have a system of, of raising a grievance with their employer. Absolutely. And I don't think people can stress enough the importance of a union because it allows someone to not feel like they're on their own anymore. Um, A lot of the players came to me and they said, you know, this is stuff that we talk about behind closed doors, 
but we're not allowed to say anything about it publicly because the teams are always listening. And that prevented just the raw honesty of it of saying, look, we're not enjoying this. We can't live a good life. We can't, you know, pursue stuff in a healthy way. And so having this type of a support system, it gives a little bit of a push. It's saying, yeah. hey, look, speak speak your truth. We're behind you. We're going to support you. We're going to fight for you. So looking at a big picture, they're not alone anymore. I think a lot of a lot of them really felt like they were on their own. They could talk to each other in hush-hush voices back in the clubhouse. But you didn't talk about it publicly because everybody knew with that type of a thing, there were going to be repercussions. We go back real quick to the the housing. So with a player with one or more children is guaranteed at least two bedrooms. If you are married, you have a private bedroom. So they do allow for housing for families. And those are mainly for guys in double A and triple A. Uh, but go on to the, you know, for, for the grievance, it, it's, it's absolutely huge that they're, you know, they're in the very end of this, it talks about they're allowed to, one of the things that major league baseball did was it has to go to arbitration. They can't, um, they can't say, Hey, you're not paying me enough. I'm going to take you to court. It has to be through arbitration. So that's kind of one of the ways that the, uh, that major league baseball kind of got, you know, got their, um, got what they wanted. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But at least they have an, a, a, there's a vehicle for them to be able to pursue that. Uh, I mean, that, that wasn't the case at all before. Um, so facility standards, major league baseball set forth new facility standards for all minor league affiliates. Uh, when it reorganized the minors and reduced the number of teams from 160 to 120, the CBA now requires the league to bargain with the union over any changes that impact players. Um, so we're seeing that in Lake Elsinore. So Lake Elsinore is uh, one of the older uh, facilities in the Pacific Coast League. I know there are a couple that are very old, uh, but it's dated. And so these requirements are you know, the like the weight room has to be so many square feet. There needs to be a separate umpires uh, locker room. There needs to be facilities for women, for female staff members. Um, and so when you have an old facility where all of this stuff is built underneath the ballpark, you have limited square footage. Um, so what Lake Elsinore has done, they've built a large, a large building where there used to be like picnic tables and, and a, a children's playground. Now there's this big building that I understand is going to have weight room and a batting cages and the new locker room. They haven't quite completed it yet. Uh, but Emily, did you get a chance to see some of the facilities that were say subpar? Um, would you be able to speak to, to any of that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, there were definitely um, facilities that you would kind of come back and and just look around and go, you know, this kind of feels like an afterthought um, <laughs> where you could tell it just it wasn't a priority. And obviously it varied organization to organization. And I'm I'm not going to publicly call out anyone in particular, but you you saw where the priority was and the priority was in other areas. And so I think with these renovations, I know specifically for those of you who don't know, I'm based out of Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is the home of the Tigers high A affiliate, the West Michigan Whitecaps. They are doing a massive renovation on the stadium grounds. Um, there's a whole laundry list of things that they're doing. And thankfully for, for us in this area, Grand Rapids is a huge baseball town. And so regardless of the quality of the facility, people are still going to show up. But thankfully for that organization in particular, it's privately owned 
And the ownership says, look, we understand how much the fans hold this in high regard. We want to give them a little something, a little something special. So I'm very excited to see how this stuff all comes together for all the other groups. You know, and one of the things with the the new building with Lake Elsinore is they use it in for for banquet space. So not only is it at the batting cage and pitching cage and workout area, but also at night it can transform into a place where they can do events, where they can get some of that revenue that minor league teams just need so much. Well, it's worth pointing out, and we we were talking about this when the whole negotiations were going along. Um, before Major League Baseball took over, uh, the the parent organization would provide the players and the coaches, and it was pretty much up to the minor league team, the the finances of the minor league team, to provide everything else. So if you're the GM of a minor league team and you've got $50,000 that you can put into capital, are you going to put that into renovating a space to help the players out? Yeah. Or are you going to put that into something that can actually generate revenue for your team? Um, and so I feel like over, over time, that decision was made over and over again. And then next thing you know, the locker room and the, the weight room look like they're, you know, from a 50 year old high school and, <laughs> and not the kind of thing you would expect professional athletes to be training in. Meanwhile, you've got these nice, beautiful public areas for the the fans and all this. Uh, so that's one positive that I think major league baseball getting involved in this. It's, it's put a lot of pressure on these older facilities uh, to really step it up. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with you on that. And I think you're looking at a more well-rounded approach altogether. It's giving the fans a better experience. And with better experience, it puts more people in the seats. It's going to boost the players' excitement to come to the field and go, you know, am I going to walk into a place where the roof's going to leak on me? Um, You know, is is the bathroom pipes going to be leaking? Can I actually fit in the weight room because it's only about so many square feet um you're looking at a better better experience for everybody so i think it's a winning move for everybody involved for sure so one thing one interesting little point on here i language classes i don't know if this was something that was uh common across all teams i know some teams offered language classes uh for the latin born the foreign players to learn some english uh but it says teams have to make English classes available at every affiliate and during spring training. Spanish classes are to be available during spring training upon request. In addition, minor leaguers this season will have a test period with a league learning, a language learning app that major leaguers use. And I love that. And we've seen some of our favorite players come through like uh, Fran Mill Reyes that learned English very quickly. Juan Soto learned, learned English very quickly. And that helps not only with his teammates, but that helps with the media. Uh, and, but then the flip side, when you've got in a, you know, an American player and they say, yes, I want to learn Spanish, or maybe, uh, maybe they've got Hassan Kim on the team. Hey, I want to learn a, a little bit of Korean so I can communicate with my teammate and they're making it available. And this is mandatory that they have to make this available for the players. It is. And I can give one story in particular about, um, uh, one of the Tigers prospects, Chase Young. Um, he is somebody who has received so much praise from his coaches and from his teammates because he has made it a priority to connect with his Latin teammates. And he's not somebody who's fluent in Spanish. He's not someone who's is well versed, but he said, you know what? Hey, we're on the same team. I want to be able to get to know you. I want you to be able to get to know me. <clears throat> and so seeing more players and coaches embrace the reality that this is not one culture's game. This is yeah. a 
universal game. Everybody knows this game. And so you're never going to have one race, one language, one culture. It's always going to be a melting pot. So I think the sooner you embrace that, the better everybody's going to feel. Oh, boy. I, I hear some rumbling outside. I, I think the Padres might have lost that game. Oh, no. Yeah, Marlins <laughs> walked it off two to one. Oh, bummer. Okay, so the next category here, medical evaluations and injuries. Um, it talks about the injured list and rehab and medical records, uh, but I found an interesting thing here, second opinions. The players have a right to a second opinion anytime a team doctor recommends surgery or another invasive procedure, or if a team doctor says an employment-related injury or illness will result in an absence of at least 60 days. And so at the major league level, we've heard about you know guys getting second opinions, recommend Tommy John, he's going to go see another doctor. But for a minor league player, you've got your team doctor saying, this is what you need to do. And for all these years, they're not even allowed to raise an objection. It's just, that's what the doctor says they need to do. I need to do it. And you're thinking, um, you know, maybe the team, they say you can go get a second opinion, but come on, if I'm disagreeing with my team doctor, that's not going to look well yeah. with the team, but now they have a right. You know, it's something that the, the team cannot infringe upon. Um, I think that gives a little bit more, uh, you know, ownership over the player's body. And it's it, at some point it starts to feel like I'm talking about slavery. Like they own these players, uh, and in, in a sense, I know some of the players have kind of felt that way over the years. So it's nice to hear that they have a little bit more more right over what they can do with their own body. Well, and the least uh, glamorous side of it is the reality that they do sometimes get these things wrong. I have heard of misdiagnosed players. I have heard from, you know, guys that said, I kept telling them something was wrong and they wouldn't listen. I kept, you know, there, this, this is just the reality of it. Nobody, no medical professional as in any profession, no one is perfect. There's going to be those mistakes. And so I think anytime you can say, we're going to give you the option to ask questions and to, to have peace about what's happening and to feel confident about what's happening, it gives you that much more power. And I think it's a wonderful move. Yeah, absolutely. A absolutely. Another one of the things that I, I like about this agreement is, I mean, you know, talk about the housing, like, hey, I just got moved up from high A to double A. I need to get there. Um, they're now either responsible for getting there or giving them a stipend enough money to get there. So if they want to drive their own car from single A to double A, wherever that is, that they're going to pay for it or that they're going to fly them there. Um, I'm pretty sure that Ethan Salas, who showed up from uh, Arizona yesterday, you know, didn't drive himself. I'm sure someone either drove him or he ubered or you know i'm sure that, you know the does he even have probably, his driver's license yet i don't think so um and, and that's huge uh, you know because in the in the past when you left you know not only did you have to find someone to take your spot in in the house but then you needed to take someone's spot in the next house like there was so much stress and so little time to get that done that it takes away a huge amount of stress no it absolutely does and it's it's one less thing that they have to worry about. Yeah. Just like you said, it's one of the things that it, it, it takes your mind off of focusing on physical development, mental development, and being able to say, I'm staying at the top of my game instead of going, gosh, am I going to be able to break my lease? Gosh, am I going to be able to make these utilities work? Gosh, am I going to, they don't, they should not have to deal yeah. with that type of a thing. If you're assigned to a contract with an organization that contract should come with the confidence of saying, 
this team is investing in me from top to bottom. This team believes that I can bring something big to this. And obviously we know that there are, as the players put it, the guys who play catch with the prospects. We understand every player is not going to make the majors. We know that that's the reality. But at the same time, every player who signs that dotted line deserves the confidence of knowing that the team is going to be behind them. Yeah. The funny story real quick. They, um, Annie Halbrin, our local uh, woman who covers the, the Padres had an interview with a friend of the podcast, Tom Cosgrove. And one of the questions he was asked is like, okay, what's the, you know, what's it like being a major leaguer? And he's like, you know, the, the plane rides are nice. The hotels are nice. But the other day I, um, you know, we went to leave and my bags were gone. And I thought I'd left them on the bus. I thought I left them somewhere. And no, they come into your room and they take your bags out of your room and then put them on the bus for you. Like that's <laughs> how much they take care of you in the major leagues. In in the minor leagues, how many times did we watch Sam Levitt set up his own audio to do a, you know to do a road broadcast? And that's going to be one of the questions I ask. Um, and Jill tomorrow is like, when you're on the road, do you bring your own gear? Like I see other broadcasters have to bring their own gear, set up their own set up their own area. Um, that's just the minutia that like, they just want to play baseball that all you have to do is play baseball. So in, in the minor leagues, when they do this, um, it does. And you're not, you're trying to get to the major leagues. Like you need to be absolutely more optimal than almost a major leaguer just because you're trying to get there and trying to get noticed and, and trying to perform. Well, Emily, talking to talking to somebody too, like Jill, I remember having the conversation with her about even her day to day on a game day, the the list of tasks and things that she was responsible for prior to broadcasting a game. Like that that in and of itself brings so much pressure because you've got all of the listeners, you've got, you know, the the production team, you've got all these people that are trying to help you make a broadcast. Before she even gets to do that, she doesn't get the luxury of sitting there going, I'm going to have meditation time to clear my mind and fully prepare to be the very best that I can be in my occupation. No, she's running around printing game notes and delegating tasks and prepping areas and making sure the lineups are good and making sure the teams are all good. That is so much for one person to handle. And I think when you are able to, number one, recognize how incredibly hard it is to be a player, how incredibly hard it is to broadcast a game. I and mean, we could do a full episode about the difficulties of broadcasting, whether it be radio or television. It is not a simple task. And I think anytime you set somebody up to say, look, you are gifted in what you do, regardless of your role, regardless of your gender, regardless of you know whatever it is that you contribute – you contribute something and we're going to help you be the very best at it yeah. that you can be yeah. setting someone else, uh, setting people up for success and not failure. What, um, we, I, for selfish reasons, want you to get mucho, mucho healthy. Cause I want you to be our Midwest league insider that we need our some, fryer insider back. We need our fryer insider back. Um, can I give you some breaking news? Yes, please. Yes. You've heard it here first. I am in the process of putting together a trip to see the Fort Wayne Tin Caps, hopefully in the next month or so. Yes. Do you need us to make a phone call? Like, we're really close with those guys. John and (laughs) John Nolan and uh, And Mike Nutter. Mike Nutter, they will, we can put in a good word for you. 
So I, I will say this because any chance I get an opportunity to give these guys, you know, any type of accolades, I will. John Nolan and Mike Nutter are two of the finest human beings. And I can say that with absolute confidence that they care so much for the fan base, for the organization, and for the city of Fort Wayne. I, it is such an honor. I was actually texting with Mike the other day, and he's somebody who has checked in so regularly with me throughout my whole situation. And again, it shows you it's bigger than baseball. It is bigger than baseball that we're all a family. And yes, we're all connected to the game, but it wasn't, hey, when are you coming back to town? It was, how are you? How are you feeling? What can we do? How can we help? And that really just spoke volumes to me as far as our friendship goes. Well, I'm going to definitely be paying attention to that on MILB TV because I'm sure you'll be up there with John. I'm sure Mike is going to take care of you. And um, just it, it's been too long. I'm so grateful that uh, you've you're you're continuing to win the battle and you're continuing to be able to follow your beloved Detroit prospects in in our beloved Padres prospects. And we're just so incredibly grateful to have you on for our 200th episode. Let's not make it 300 before you come on. I want to talk to you after you're there for the weekend um, after the tin cap. So thank you so much. Yes. Thank yes. You so no, much. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I will say this, that since my, my glory days of getting adopted into the Padres fan base, um, just being able to be connected with such an incredible organization. I can't say enough about, about the club, about the fans. And I will actually, just so you know, I will be, um, at the Tigers and Padres series coming up. I think it's in July, I believe. Okay. Okay. Um, I will be out there for that as well. But to all of the Padres fans, you guys are some of my favorite people from the Luis Patino days to all of the, the, the fun uh, adventures that we have to look forward to. I'm so incredibly grateful for you guys for the support from everyone and just how amazing you guys have been. So definitely still very much a part of the Padres family. So before our time runs out, can you tell the people where they can find your wonderful writing these days? Yeah, so still still kind of working my way back. I'm not not doing a huge workload yet, but hopefully getting back to it soon. Um, working regularly over at Baseball America with my contributions, and um, I'll have some fresh content hopefully coming more soon over the next couple months. Well, should we what? send it off, Donovan? This you can find me on Twitter at SD Donovan. I'm at Zimby underscore TMS. Emily, what's your handle on Twitter? Emily C. Walden. All right. Until next time, let's go, Padres. Whee!